You may be seated. All right. Well, for the kids part of the service today, we're going to do a kids sermon, okay? So I need, uh, let's take kindergarten through fifth grade, 4K through fifth grade. If you would come and sit in the very front, could you do that for me? The front row. Good deal. You know what? I should have told you to grab a Bible. That's okay. That's okay. I'll read it for you. That'll be good. All right. We're going to pack it out. Man, what happened? Scooch in. Here we go. Let's move this. Do we got it? Can, can we can we make like a little gap right here? Oh, we're getting tight. We're getting tight. How about right here? All right. This is a good problem to have, just so you know. There we go. All right. Yes. Sisters on laps. This is a good thing. And, and Yeah, this is good. Brothers on laps. All right. Jesus sat down when he taught people, so I'm going to do that too. Okay? Did you know that? Jesus sat down when he taught? Yeah. So. All right. Here's a great passage for you. This is going to be in the sermon today. You're going to hear it again, but I wanted to talk about it just with you. All right. This is the Apostle Paul, and he's in jail when he wrote this. He's in jail because he's talking to people about Jesus. And he has this really great verse I want you to all to know about, okay? He says in Philippians 1.21, he says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's a short little verse. I think it's one of the best ones he ever wrote. You know, now, not that even he wrote it, but God had him write it. And what Paul was saying is, for me... To live is Jesus, and to die is gain. And let me tell you what that means. He's saying everything about his life is Jesus. In the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, it's all about Jesus. Now, let me give you a way to think about this. Okay, I brought a couple cars. Any of you guys like toy cars? Um, yeah. I used to play with cars all the time when I was little. It was like my favorite thing to do. I, I couldn't call them cars, though. My parents say that I called them TARS. I, I, don't, I couldn't get the cut out, I guess. So I called them TARS. So these two TARS, um, let's say that you love cars a lot. I, I don't know. Girls, maybe you don't love cars so much. I'll give you an example in a second for you, too. Let's say you love cars a lot. And, and you get up in the morning and you play with your cars, right? And, and in the afternoon, you play with your cars with your mom. And in the, in, in the evening, you're like, Dad, you've got to play cars with me. Come on, let's do this. So you're playing cars all day long. Let's say you go to bed and you take the cars with you. You love them so much. And then you get a little bit older. You become a teenager, and guess what you love? Cars. But you're going to obey the speed limit, and you're going to buckle up, right? No texting in the tar, okay? You don't, you don't do that. But you love cars. You love cars. You grow up. Uh, Let's say you love cars so much you even want to sleep in your car. That'd be kind of crazy, right? Sleeping in your car. But you love, you love cars. You grow up and you want to be what? A race car driver. You don't want to be a car? No. You want to be a race car driver, right? Right? Or a crash test dummy. No, just kidding. Um, it's all good. It's all good. Um, you love cars. What's your favorite movie, by the way, if you love cars a lot? Well, strawberry shortcake is pretty cool. That's true. That is very true. 
people love cars, love the movie cars, right? Right? I think so. I think so. Now, let's say uh, some of you probably got some candy recently, right? You know, some Halloween candy maybe. Yeah. Did you give any to your parents? No. Man. Okay. Well, let's say you love candy a lot. And let's say your parents let you eat it all the time. In the morning you get up and you have uh, a chocolate bar for breakfast. And No, you wouldn't do that? And at lunch, you love candy so much that you have Skittles for lunch. And then you have uh, ice cream for dinner. You love candy and sweets. That's not good for you, but let's say you did that. Did you ever watch Willy Wonka? That, that, uh, remember, remember when they're walking by the, the chocolate lake and the kid loves chocolate and he starts like drinking the lake and then he falls in, you know, because he loves chocolate so much. Okay. Well, here's, here's, what, here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He says, for me to live is not chocolate. He's not saying for me to live is cars. No, he's not saying that. It's to me to live is Christ. So he says, when I wake up in the morning, I'm thinking about Jesus. And when I have my lunch, I'm thinking about Jesus. And when in the evening, when I'm hanging out with friends, I'm thinking about Jesus. When I go to sleep... I'm thinking about Jesus. And, and, and when, I, when, I ta- when I'm talking, I want to talk to Jesus. And, and when I'm scared, I'm going to ask Jesus to help me. And, and when, uh, basically all the time, when someone's mean to me, when someone's, so when someone's hurtful to me, I'm going to think about how much Jesus loves me. Everything's about Jesus. From the start of the day to the end of the day, Jesus all the time. Now, I don't, you probably don't think about Jesus all the time, do you? I don't think about him all the time, okay? You think about him all the time? As you get older and older and older, you're going to learn more stories about Jesus. In Sunday school or from your parents, they're going to tell you stories about Jesus. And you're going to be thinking about him more and more. So the older you get, the more you love him, okay? The more you think about him, the more you want to make him happy. That's why Paul says, for me to live is Christ. Every day, every minute, I want to be thinking and being all about Jesus. I love him so much. As you get older, I hope you can say that too. And then he has this last part of the verse where he says, to die is gain. He's like, when I die, I get to see Jesus for real. So like, even if I died today, that would be super sad in some ways because people would miss me, but I would get to see Jesus. And that's what gain means. Gain means like, I get the bonus. I get like I get like the best gift ever. I get to see Jesus, who I've been thinking about all the time. So I don't know if there's going to be cars in heaven. I don't know if there's going to be candy in heaven or strawberry shortcake. I, I don't know. I don't know. But I'll tell you, if Jesus is in heaven, then it's the best place ever because he's the most amazing person ever. Does that make sense? Is that cool? All right. So when we read that verse today, and Paul says, for me to live is Jesus, I want you to think, no, living is not for cars, and living is not for candy, even though you probably do think about candy a lot. Living is not all about school, or otherwise we'd send you to school all day and all night, right? You know, you'd be in school like all the time. But think about it. Jesus is with you when you wake up in the morning. He's with you when you go to school. He's with you in the evening when you're eating dinner, and when you're with your parents. He's with you all the time. Life is all about Him. And the older you get, the more you get to love Him. Let me pray for you guys, okay? Let's pray. Father, I pray for each, each person here. 
I pray that as they get older and get bigger, that they would love you, Jesus, more and more and more. That they would know that their whole life is about Jesus. Not about cars, not about candy, not about school, not about movies, not about some of those fun things out there. But life is all about Jesus. Help them learn that from an early age and help them love you and follow you well into their older age. And one day, when we all get to heaven, we look forward to when we get to be with you. And even though death can be sad, once we get to see you, all the tears will be gone. We'll be so excited to be with you forever, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Cool. You guys can go have a seat. Thanks. All right. <clears throat> this morning, uh, we're going to be uh, talking about the persecuted church. I'd invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 1. If you didn't catch, that's where we were going today. we get the first picture up there? Throughout this morning, I want to highlight uh, four or more different, four different stories at least of Christians who have undergone persecution or even now undergoing persecution. So you know how easy it is to go online and you go to persecution.com and you can find stories, true stories of Christians that are being persecuted and how easy it is, like, okay, which stories will I pick to highlight this morning? You know, the, the possibilities are limitless. There's this story after story after story after story after story of, of our brothers and sisters around the world going through hard things. I just picked the top four. You know what I did? I just went, give me the four most recent Christians that, that, uh, that they have spotlighted on that, on that website, and I, we're going we're gonna to pray for them after church today. And we're going to pray for other, other things as well. But um, this lady, I'll get up my notes here. Her name is Asia Bibi. Asia Bibi. She is from Pakistan. She is a mother who is imprisoned right now under a blasphemy conviction. So a very highly Muslim country. And uh, she's in prison right now. She had an appeal at the Lahore High Court on October 16th it was denied. 2,000 people gathered outside the courthouse to, to pressure the judges. And so the judges, this Islamic cleric, set this half million rupee, that's a, like a $5,000 bounty, on her head. Okay, So she's like a wanted woman who's in prison and uh, her attorneys have filed an appeal in the Supreme Court in Islamabad. And... Uh, they say this will probably take more years of Asia in court uh, trying to get through this time. Her words, a uh, quote from her, she says, Please do something. It's been so long and I just want to be with my children. So we'll pray for Asia a little later today. Um, 
But again, a $5,000 bounty on her head. People, people gathered around the courthouse protesting her. You know, hard, hard things. Hard things. And so she sits in prison. I read a quote from a pastor in Iraq, <clears throat> uh, Andrew White, speaking about his church in Iraq. And he said, Last year alone, 93 members of my congregation were killed. The threat is particularly great for those who convert to Christianity. I baptized 13 adults secretly last year. 11 of them were dead within a week. Would you show up at this church with those kind of numbers? I, mean, I wouldn't even invite go in the door, you know. I wouldn't even gather together. And yet, these people are gathering together as privately as they can, baptizing in secret, and their life expectancy goes way, way down. This is the world we live in for Christians. I want you to see in Philippians a verse that I hope jumps out at you and just and just grabs your heart like nothing else. I want you to look at the end of Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. We'll look at, we'll look at some other parts in chapter 1, but, but chapter 1, verse 29 of Philippians is one of those, I, I hope it just grabs you like nothing else. Verse 29 says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for Him, since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here that I still have. Paul is in jail. He's imprisoned. And uh, he doesn't say exactly where when he's writing the book of Philippians, this letter to the church of Philippi. But most people think it's probably Rome. Probably Rome. He talks about life and death, which we'll look at in a second. But uh, things are not good for him. And yet he, he, he pens this amazing, amazing letter. And then he, so he says in verse 29, For it's been granted to you, on behalf of Christ, so in the name of Christ, not only to believe in Jesus, but also to suffer for Him. I want you to think about what that verse is saying. It's been granted. It's been granted. It means God grants the suffering of Christians in the name of Jesus. He, he, he grants suffering. Some translations say, for the sake of Christ. So, I'm talking about a specific kind of suffering this morning. Not, not, not just suffering, not just bad day, not just people don't like me. Uh, suffering for the sake of Christ. Suffering because you are a Christian. Suffering because you talk about the gospel. Suffering because you live differently than the world. Suffering for the sake of Christ. A very specific kind of suffering. And this verse says God grants that. What does the word grant mean? The word is charizomai in Greek. Charizomai. It means to do something pleasant or agreeable, to do a favor to, to gratify. Uh, it means forgive in some passages. It, it means to give a gift. Um, look at chapter two, verse nine. I'll give you. Uh, I'll give you the same word in the book of uh, Philippians, chapter two, verse nine, talking about Jesus. God exalted Jesus, Him, to the highest place and gave, there's our word, charizomai, He gave Him the name that's above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus has been given a name 
by God. Charisma, he's been granted or given this name. This word is used of, of gift-giving, of forgiving people. Jesus uses it when he tells parables about forgiving each other. You need to charisma, you need to forgive. It's used of giving gifts. And here it's used of the gift that maybe no one really wants. Suffering. That God is giving a gift of suffering to the church. I hope that just blows your mind, that the terminology that Paul would use to describe that. And then, and then to compare it to salvation. He's, he's granting you not only faith in Christ, but suffering in Christ. So, so God is giving this gift of salvation for God to love the world that He gave His only begotten Son, right? It's a gift. Eternal life is a gift. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. It's a charisma of God. He, he's giving it to you freely. Some would argue that if Ephesians 2, 8, 9, where it talks about, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith. You know, it, it's a gift of God, not by works, right? Someone argue that that word, gift of God is referring to the grace and referring to the faith. That faith is gifted to you. That God is, God is working in your heart to come to believe in Him. That certainly you exercise a form of free will, I think, to say, God, I want you, but God is granting a sort of faith to you. And this is the word that's used, charisma. He's, he's giving you this salvation, this faith. And then in the same breath, He's, he's giving you suffering. And that ought to just be like, oh, how does that work? And maybe there's a sense that just as I, just as God grants faith and grace and I come to Jesus in salvation, I still, somewhere in my humanness, I've chosen to follow Him. It seems, sure seems that way in my perspective. God grants suffering. He, he gives it to us as a gift. But in some ways, you still have to accept that gift too, don't you? Because... You could back down. You could shut your mouth. You could compromise and live like the world. But if you choose to follow Jesus in a more radical way, suffering will come. So there is an element of free choice even in there too. And he's giving out suffering. Now, I hope saying that pushes you to ask the question, why? How, Paul, can you call this a gift why would you use that kind of language and fortunately philippians 1 answers that question why is suffering a gift to the church all right before i go on next christian that i want to highlight next picture if we could jim this uh is a young man we'll call khan that's not his real name uh he lives with his wife in central asia He's a new Christian convert and he recently celebrated his wedding without the blessing or presence of his family. When Khan's Muslim family learned he was marrying a Christian girl, they were furious. They told him if he wanted to remain part of the family, he must return to Islam, cancel the wedding, and marry a Muslim woman instead of a Christian woman. Khan refused and was kicked out of his home. Although it's customary in Khan's country for the bride and groom to live with the groom's family, Khan found himself alone with no money, no place to stay right before his wedding. So the prayer is that for God to provide for their needs, provide a place to stay, 
provide for their faith, to strengthen them when their whole family is turned against them. We'll pray for him later. <clears throat> Can we pull up 1 Peter 4.1 before we go on to point 1? Um, 1 Peter 4.1 says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. So I need to have the same attitude as Jesus had when he suffered. I need to go through my life saying, think the way Jesus did. Jesus knew he was going to suffer. He knew he was going to die. You need to have the same attitude. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be persecuted. That's the way it is. Okay, now we're ready for point one. Let's take a look at Philippians 1 and see what Paul is saying here. Look at verse 12. Paul says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's been clear clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. So what he says in verse 12 is, when Christians suffer, it advances the gospel of Christ. It moves the gospel forward and out when people see suffering. I think it's kind of like that verse in 1 Peter 3 uh, where it says, um, uh, always be prepared to give an answer for everyone who asks to give the reason for the hope you have. And then it talks about uh, people that are speaking maliciously against you. There it is. That's verse 16. People that speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. I think it's kind of like this. Um, You ever blow up at your kids? You never lose your temper, right? I know. It's only me. Um, But if you ever overreact to something, you you, you can kind of say some things that you shouldn't have said or in a a tone or in a a volume that shouldn't have happened. And and, and later you you might know that your kids deserved whatever you were. They need to be corrected. And yet you overdid it. And so you kind of feel like, oh, that's on me. Or maybe your kids are just having fun and you're having a bad day. And there's no reason to get on their case. And yet you're just crabby. You didn't sleep well last night. And so you just, you just let them have it. And then later you think, I feel so stupid. Why did I do that? And I think that's the feeling Peter's talking about here. It's when people speak against you and yet they see how you're living. And eventually they say, why why am I so against that person? What have they done to me? They, they kind of see the light in a sense. Like, why have I done that? When Christians suffer, there's always this chance God is going to use the suffering for other people to look in and say, there's no reason for that. Kind of like Pilate. This is an innocent man. And here I am condemning him to death, but he's an innocent man. And others will say that as they see the suffering of Christians. It advances the gospel. I I think maybe another way we can think of it advancing the gospel is that Jesus died on the cross. None of us have seen that. We weren't there for it. We read about it. And when you tell 
people that don't know Jesus about that, they can say, oh yeah, yeah, legend, whatever, you know, you guys have stories. But when they see Christians suffer, it's like saying, yeah, this is what happens when you follow God. People persecute you. People throw you in prison. And they say, yeah, I get it. Jesus suffered. These Christians are suffering. And it, and it kind of like proclaims the gospel in a visible way. Look how I'm suffering like Jesus. Now, if that was the case, and if, if suffering was the only way to advance the gospel, then we ought to be praying for suffering, you know, send the suffering. But I don't pray that way, and I'm not sure the Bible tells us to pray that way. Would you pull up First Corinthians or First uh, Timothy? Uh, Paul says to Timothy, "I urge then." This is a good election time verse. Uh, that requests prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So, so verse three and four is is really cool because. God wants people to be saved, and He wants us to pray for that. And what in particular are we supposed to pray for? That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And the assumption is that those kings and people in authority in verse 2, they're helping us live quiet, peaceful lives. That they're not opposing the gospel, they're letting Christians be. Just let us have religious freedom and share the message of Christ with everyone we can because, verse 4, God wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Peace, freedom of religion, helps spread the gospel too. But ultimately, it's God who chooses how He wants to advance the gospel, whether through the freedom of America or through the persecution of other countries. He can do both. He's not limited here. So suffering advances the gospel to the lost. Next Christian I want to highlight is Yoaxis Suarez, if I'm saying that right. I've never encountered a name like Yoaxis Suarez. That's the woman on the right here who is the wife of this pastor. So her husband's a pastor. Uh, they arrested her... Uh, and she, uh, basically for being a religious freedom activist. She was arrested on October 16th, so just last month. And the authorities tried to make her sign a document admitting to different things that could be used as a justification for future arrests and criminal charges. She refused to sign the document, but being warned now, she will face imprisonment if she continues to have contact with uh, these, what they call, counter-revolutionary people, that is, people that are encouraging religious freedom in the, the country of Cuba. So, uh, again, a woman who's recently arrested and uh, being threatened with imprisonment. Next thing I want to show you in Philippians. Check out verse 14. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and more fearlessly. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, 
but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. All right. Second thing that suffering does is it encourages the rest of us to be more courageous in our sharing of Jesus Christ. It encourages the church to step up and, and, and to do a better job, a more fearless job, sharing Christ with other people. Um, <clears throat> would you put up Colossians 1.24? Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what was still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, that's one of those verses that I look at and I go, what in the world does that mean? Paul says, I rejoice in what I suffered for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's affliction. So he's not saying that Jesus' suffering doesn't save everyone who calls on him. It's not saying that Jesus' death on the cross wasn't enough. But there's something that Paul is doing that is helping the church and filling up what is lacking. And again, I go to what I said earlier. I think what's lacking in Christ's afflictions is we can't see it happen today. We're not seeing Jesus on the cross. So when Paul suffers, what he's saying is, hey, look, I'm a follower of Jesus. Follower of Jesus suffer. I'm doing it so you can all see it. You all hear about me. You've all heard about my whippings and lashings, my hunger, my thirst, my imprisonment. You've heard about people abandoning me that were part of the faith. That's what happens when you're a Christian. Happen to Jesus, it'll happen to you. And so I think what, when you say, what's lacking in Jesus' death? Well, one thing that's lacking is, I'm not there to see it. I'm not there to experience it. But when you hear about Christians around the world that are suffering and dying, you say, oh, they, they are showing us what it means to live for Christ. They're an example to us. So he rejoices in that suffering, and it makes us more bold. You know, um, I think it was Gandhi that said, I like Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Wasn't he the one that said that? Because your Christians don't act anything like your Christ. And on the one hand, I say, he makes a good point, because a lot of us don't live like Christ, and and, and there's there's a challenge there for the church that Jesus is a more appealing figure than the church is. But on the other hand, I say, I'm not buying it. I think it's baloney. Here's why. Um, I think people have a a rose-colored glass view of Jesus in their minds. The, The loving teacher wandering the countryside, calling people to him. And he did love people well. He did call people to himself. But he also had harsher teachings. He also taught about hell. He also taught about the love of money that would keep you out of the kingdom of heaven. You know, he, he said things and did things that created division. And, and when someone said, I want to I wanna like just go bury my, parents, my, my father first before I follow you. And he was like, no, I want you to follow me now. Let the dead bury their own dead. You know, it was just like, he, he had this way of, of just calling you to a higher level of following. It wasn't, it, he was full of love. But he also told you the truth in a way that was hard for people sometimes. 
And so when Gandhi says, I like Christ, but I don't like Christians, I'm like, well, have you read him long enough? Because if you had, I'm sure you're going to find some things you don't like. I think most people will find some things they don't like. Because he said he was the son of God. He said no one comes to the Father except through him. So it's like, Gandhi, do you know that you won't go to the Father unless it's through Jesus? And as far as I know, he never accepted Christ. So, in a sense, there's this, there is a displeasure in Christians. And, and, and when that comes out to us, when that comes against us, we've got to take it because that's what Jesus did. Jesus did say things that were offensive. He did say things that were exclusive. He made people mad. That's kind of how he got crucified. And so will you, even if you say it full of love. So will you. All right. We'll keep mo- uh, moving along here. I want to talk about the Dianis family, if I'm saying that right. The Dianis family in Tanzania, the picture from their church, I believe. Uh, this story goes like this. On October 9th, a group of people with machetes attacked two Christian men at a prayer meeting in Bukaba, Tanzania. Dianis Nigwandu was 31. He was killed in the attack, leaving behind a wife and two small children ages 4 and 2. Timisterez, I think I'm saying that right, maybe, 25 years old, was hospitalized with injuries suffered during his escape. The church is located in a Muslim-dominated area and is still under construction with no windows or doors. Church members have been threatened by Islamic extremists who want to run Christians out of the area. So Dianis uh, is a man who was killed by this group that attacked the church during a prayer meeting. What else shall we say here? Thirdly, would you look at verses 20 through 26? I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but it's more necessary for you that I remain uh, in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I'll remain. I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. So here you have this amazing statement. I think it's a personal statement. It's one of those verses that people choose for their life verse. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And as we talked about the kids earlier, I think it's Paul's way of saying, when I suffer, I get to know Jesus better in his sufferings. When I, when I eat, I thank the Lord, I thank Jesus Christ for the provision. When I minister to the church, I thank Jesus that I'm building up the body of Christ with the gifts he's given me. Everything I do is about Jesus. And that's the challenge for all of us today too. Can we say that everything is about Jesus, whether in life or death. So number three is, suffering reveals the supremacy of Christ in life and death. Is Jesus really the best thing about your life? If he is, then no doubt you're talking about him, acting like him, and no doubt some people don't like that and you're going to get some pushback for that. And certainly Christians around the world will get huge pushback for that. If you live for Christ, if you attend the prayer meeting, people could come in here with machetes. 
That's, that's, the, that's the thing in the world. You, know, you could lose your life for this. If you become a Christian in an Iraqi church, your days may be numbered. You may have a week left. And it shows that trusting in Jesus is still worth it. Two verses I want to show you in life and death here. Um, get the Philippians 3.10 up if we could. Uh, Paul says, I want to know Christ, the power of His resurrection, the fellowship, the fellowship, we have a fellowship, Paul, and no one suffers in it, just so you know. Um, the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. So Paul is saying, I want to know Jesus as best as I can. And we, we want that too, right? So we read the Bible, we pray, we go to church, we, we meet for Bible studies. But Paul says, I want to know Christ, and, and one way I'm going to know Him is through suffering for Him. When I get the whippings, in my mind, I'm thinking Jesus received the lashings too. When I'm under threat of death, so is my Savior. He, he's saying, if I get persecuted, if I get slandered and mocked, that only makes me closer to Jesus. For me to live is Christ. Would you have the same mentality? Like, if, if people make fun of you at work, if people mock your morals, if people hate your faith, would you say to yourself, well, this is good because that's actually what they did to Jesus, and I actually feel closer to him when people do that to me. I heard one pastor that I could name, and you would all, most of you probably know the name. And uh, I heard him at a conference recently, and he was talking about um, talking about uh, people coming against him for his views on uh, gay marriage. And, and, and it, was, it was a point where this became a nationally known article. It was kind of put out there that he was against it, and. He said it was so hard to even get up the next day. He felt like everyone was saying he was unloving. He said, I just felt like, he said, I felt like quitting ministry that day. And I heard him saying this, and I'm like, I understand what you're saying. When the whole world seems to be saying, you're an unloving pastor, that can be hard to take. When, the, when, when your whole workplace or your whole family says, you're the bigot, that can be like, man, that hurts. Except when you stop and realize they called Jesus those things. And, and, and that Jesus was mocked. And that Jesus said hard things for people to take. And when you realize that, you're able to keep being loving and say, you know what, I actually feel closer to Jesus right now than I ever have before. How about in death? If you get persecuted for Christ and you actually die, well, then you got 2 Corinthians 4.17. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. Some of your translations say it's achieving for us a weight of glory. A weight of glory. Now, what if you took that literally? And I think, I think we should, by the way. If you take that verse literally, what you're saying is, the more I suffer in this life, the heavier the glory is in the next life. Did you see that? The more I suffer in this life, the more glory, the heavier, the weight of glory is going to be heavier on me in the next life. So I can suffer knowing that I'm going to a place that I'm going to be rewarded 
ten times what I've gotten, a hundred times what I've gotten in this life for suffering. It's okay. And that shows people how much you value Christ. Now, last point. You've got a bonus point here. Um, it's not in your notes. One more Christian I want to highlight. Can we get the uh, pastor up there? Uh, pastor uh, Benham is in Iran, the country of Iran. Uh, he and two other members of his church are, were uh, locked up. Uh, they were spared the death penalty after a charge of spreading corruption on the earth. That was the charge. Spreading corruption on the earth. That char- the death penalty was dropped in exchange for new charges that add six years to their prison sentences. Uh, Pastor Benham began serving a six-year sentence in May of 2011, is now expected to serve a total of 12 years. So here's a pastor currently in prison in Iran, locked up in 2011, will probably be there until 2023 um, for spreading corruption on the earth. Um, let me say the last thing here. Would you look at Philippians 1 one more time? Not in your notes, but I'll invite you to write this down. I think, I think it's like an excellent application point for us. Verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then when I come and see you or hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed but that you will be saved and that by God. For it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only that you believe on him but also that you suffer for him. Here's point four. Sorry I didn't make it into your notes this week. It was a late addition but when I saw it I was like this, this is so important. Suffering unites Christians in gospel-centered faith and living. Suffering brings us together. I've heard some people say, well, you know, it's not like in years past when, you know, uh, the churches seemed to be more full and most people were Christians and we long for the old days. And I once heard a professor, a Bible professor say this, and I thought it was very, a very good observation. He said, you know, in years past, it was easy for people to kind of blend into the church. It was kind of the cultural thing, you know. You just do the church thing. Nowadays, it's harder to blend in. The lines are drawn more clearly. It's easier to be on the outs. It's easier to be an atheist or an agnostic. It's much easier to live that way, if you want, than to be in the church and say, I'm in. So in some ways, we praise God because there is a cultural persecution going on in America and it's uniting the Christians that are truly faithful. It's uniting them together under the gospel. So praise God for that. Now, there's a word in verse 29. It's the word for. So, so you think about it. Persecution brings us together as the church. It unites us together as one person going the same direction. And then it says, For it's been granted to you not only to believe but to suffer. What's the word for there? Why is the word for? For indicates purpose, right? Why has God given you the faith? Why has God given you the suffering? If you truly, I think the connection here is this. If you are a Christian that is 
contending for the faith of the gospel, if, if you're living for Christ in a bold way, gospel-centered way, Jesus is all of your life sort of way, then verse 29 will happen to you in some form. But if you're not contending for the gospel, if you're not sharing your faith, if you're not living for Jesus, if you're not doing everything you can to say, the gospel says Jesus died on the cross for my sins, I'm going to live like that. I'm going to live a crucified life. No longer for me, all for Jesus. I'm going to love him and obey him. If that happens, then verse 29 happens. You get to suffer in some way. You get pushed back. But if verse 27 and 28 don't happen in your life, then maybe verse 29 doesn't happen either. Maybe no one's pushing back on you. And maybe because that's you're so quiet about your convictions. That's how I look at it at least. I'm going to have some pushback in my life if I'm really living for Christ. I hope that you come out of this with this sense of, you know, Christians are called to suffer. In America, we have religious freedom. But there is a sort of cultural persecution. If you don't talk like us, believe like us, then you're a bigot, you're hateful. Um, I've got to tell you, the next two weeks, I am going to preach on uh, the topic of homosexuality in the church. Next two weeks. I invite you to pray over that. Um, I imagine my words will anger someone. As gracious as I can be is how I want to preach that message. But I imagine the next two weeks some will be angry. So I just invite you to pray. Invite invite you to pray. May the truth be known. And this is one of those issues where the culture is coming against us pretty strongly and the church is starting to compromise. And when they compromise, they don't have to go through any persecution. If you believe like our culture on that issue, everything will be okay except with the Lord. Let's be gracious with people. Let's be truth-tellers with people. Let's do that balance well. Let's pray. I invite the worship team to come up. We'll sing one more song. Lord Jesus, uh, thank you. It just seems so hard to say it. But thank you for the gift. Oh, you okay? All right, thanks. Thank you for the gift of persecution and suffering. Thank you that, uh, that you've called believers to this and yet you have given them the, the grace, the inner strength to do this. I feel like this is one of those messages where I don't even understand this as deeply as I should. Because life here is different than life in Iraq. Life here is different than life in Pakistan. Life in China. We don't have an underground church. We have the doors wide open for people. But I do pray that our stand for Christ would be one that invites people to persecute us. Not because we're unloving, but because we have this bizarre combination of being incredibly loving and yet honest and truthful with people. And may you unite us around the cause of the gospel. May we be faithful to the good news that changes people, that gives transformation, that gives people the hope of heaven. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.